and welcome to Let's Be Honest. I'm Jess and this is the podcast where I talk about life's toughest topics with lots of different brilliant people. Today's episode is called Let's Talk About Religion. I'll be joined by Dr. Taylor Hill, who happens to be my maternal grandfather. Born in the 30s, raised in the 40s, married in the 50s, and growing a family and a church since the 1960s, he's seen our world with its ever-changing flow of parameters. We talk about how religion fits into today's modern world, how followers of the world's different religions can come together, the dangers of idolizing religious leaders and cults, the separation of church and state, and the ultimate need for everyone's baseline to be love and peace. Welcome to the show. Thank you for listening. Hi, Daddy Hill. Welcome to Let's Be Honest. How are you? I'm fine, Jessica. It's so good to be here today. I'm I'm excited about us doing this together. Yeah, I think it's going to be great. And I call you Daddy Hill because you are my grandfather. And I probably should explain that to people. Otherwise, it's just a weird name I'm calling somebody. But you are my grandfather. And you said I came up with that name for you when I was little? Yes, I wanted... I wanted my grandchildren to call me Granddaddy Hill, mm-hmm. and um, you came up with Daddy Hill, and it stuck, yeah. so it's great. Shame you only got one grandchild. Did no, you want no, more than that? No, no. <laughs> we're, we're happy with one grandchild. You get all the attention. That's true. I, I am lucky on that end, <laughs> but you guys got the short end of the stick. No, no, no. <laughs> not at all. And you are my mother's father, so I grew up with you when I came to the States, And I've always had a real love for you and just respected you so much. So today we're talking about religion. The episode is called Let's Talk About Religion. And you have been a minister and a real religious leader in the community and world, but also within our family. So it was a no-brainer that you were the one to talk to about this subject. I want to talk about, before we get into some of the more detailed questions, but what was your experience of of being a young man and raising a family, which just happens to be, you know, my mother and my aunties and my grandmother? What was that like for you? Because you met my grandmother when you were quite young, right? Um, I, I met her in um, high school, my last year of high school. Mm-hmm. And uh, we met by chance in a park singing. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, and um, so we... Uh, we started dating and fell in love. We had a four-year engagement, too long, way too Why long. Why was it four years? Well, because um, uh, I needed to finish college. Right, okay. I wanted to finish college and, you know, have a job and be able to support and that sort of thing. That's kind of what we did in those days. I was going to say, that's nice of you <laughs> to want to <laughs> do that. And what was that like being, because what was that in the 50s? Yes, we, right. we were married in 1959. Wow. I graduated high school in 1955, and that's when we met. Okay. So I'm, I'm terrible at math. How many years ago was that? 60? 70? Yeah, let's see. No, uh, si- 60 years ago. Okay. Wow, this year? In 2019? That was 60 years ago. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Actually, um, it was in August, and I sent her a very nice anniversary card uh, for uh, August. Uh, we were married on August the, the uh, 29th. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're probably one of the few men that remember their anniversary yeah, dates. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking, I was just, as I said that, Don't I was get thinking, this wrong. I hope, Don't I got, get it wrong. I hope I got it right. <laughs> so what was it like being a young man, newly married, 
starting a family and being a minister because you had already been to seminary by the time no No? i had not when when i married your grandmother she was in bible college in south carolina and so i went to the bible college their graduate school of mission for a year and a half and took courses there Mm -hmm. had some wonderful professors and then we got a job in ministry in Hopewell, Virginia, mm-hmm. <clears throat> where uh, y- your Aunt Chris was born, mm-hmm. and uh, we served in ministry for about two years there, and then I went to seminary. Oh, okay. So I had done a lot of ministry work before I went to seminary and knew, knew what I needed when I went. Right. So. And from my memories just of you know oral history and, and family stories, your ministry was quite hands-on. You, you and Nana were really out in the community helping people. I remember my mum telling me, was it in Texas when you worked with like people recovering from addiction and, and you had quite some quite hands-on community <clears throat> ministry? It was actually in our first church in Pensacola, Florida. Okay. so not Texas. <laughs> and uh, right before we went to Texas and got a phone call one night from a mother in our church that her son had been arrested for drugs and mm. he just happened to be in a house where they were having drugs and it was a a raid and I went to visit him in jail and his sister had been arrested and also his wife for drugs as well yeah and that same that same drug bust and so I got to know them I went to court with them Mm. we got other people that got interested and it kind of grew from from that that's amazing it is amazing and and interesting part of the story that was back in 19 68 or 69 mm-hmm. and uh i just met that same young man he, he's not young anymore but he called me and he lives up the road in gainesville no way yeah and we've gotten together for lunch a couple of times and we talked wow together. what a full circle moment i know really that's that's incredible and then the other part of of learning about our history um, as a family, that you guys travelled a lot. Your your work as a preacher took you from east coast to west coast, south, everywhere. What was that like as as a young family having to travel and pick up and and really start again each time you moved? Yeah, well, it, um, as you as you know, my first marriage ended, mm-hmm. uh, and um, I started doing interim ministry, and as a single person, I was able to to travel a lot more and so I I went all over mm. California and Florida even to Alaska and Oregon mm-hmm. oh I didn't know you were in Oregon I was in Medford Oregon for how long for about two years really that's the home of Harry and David okay and uh, a wonderful place wonderful people and I just en- enjoyed that so much mm. that's incredible I as I said at the beginning I've always had a real love for you and always really looked up for you honestly I never really shut up about you I talk about you to everyone I talk about how you're in your 80s and you still hang glide and it was only recently you gave up your Harley and you randomly just decided you wanted to move to Alaska and went and made a life there and I just think that's so incredible and I think the tapestry of your life has been really colorful and vibrant and i'm interested you know to time with today's topic of how religion has been woven yeah. throughout that so when did you have your first experience with religion or spirituality or the realm outside of our materialistic world 
Well, it's a great question, and uh, before I get into that, I just want to say I'm deeply honored that uh, that you have that respect, and that means everything in the world to me. And oh, it, I really it, do, yeah. It's, it's mutual. Oh, thank you. Um, I love you. Thank you, darling. I love you, too. Let's just end it there. We don't need to do the rest of the podcast. No, I'm just I kidding. I pronounce the benediction. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, it's interesting. Um, I was born into a Christian home. I actually was born at the Presbyterian Hospital in Charlotte. That's a pretty religious North, start. <laughs> North Carolina. So, um, and as a young child in our home with uh, my my maternal grandparents and mother and dad mm-hmm. and older sister, I learned to talk. As soon as I learned to talk, I learned to pray. Mm. And we would say our prayers uh, when we went to bed at night uh, with mom and dad. And then as we gathered around the table to eat a meal together, we would say prayers. So uh, I learned to do that. We also went to church. I remember one prayer meeting night, I actually, as a young boy, said a prayer out loud. No, None of the young people ever did that, and not many young people went. And after the meeting, this, this sweet old lady uh, came and patted me on the head, and she said, Taylor Mack, you're going to make a preacher man someday. Wow. And, and so that was kind of prophetic. Yeah, and very and much manifesting things. The seeds were planted, um, and I, I've always had an interest in it, but by the time in my junior year in high school I knew that I was going to the ministry and so religion has played a, a big role in my life and now as a minister then I've been able to do weddings and funerals mm-hmm. and uh, baptize uh, children and uh, preach mm-hmm. and that sort of thing so it's been a it's been a big part of my life, mm-hmm. uh, and it still is. And how did you determine that that was exactly what you wanted to do? Because junior high is quite a young age, and there are people who are full-grown adults who don't really know what they want to do. How was it so definitive that you knew, this is it, this is what I'm called to do? What was that exact calling like? Well, that was a really almost kind of like a conversion experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a friend who had been praying for me, and although I was, I was very religious and going to church and doing all of the right things outwardly. Mm-hmm. In my heart, I was uh, having trouble with my mother. She in my adolescence, and really? I was uh, not, uh, you know, very close to God. And she, this friend of mine, said that she was praying for me, and uh, she. One day, I just came to her and I said, "I'm ready to give my life." Christ I'm ready to she called it surrender my will to Christ and I said I'm ready to do that and we had a little prayer together Mm. and I just turned my whole life over to the Lord and it changed something changed very much in that moment in that moment from that moment on all of my friends in high school knew that something had happened to me really that's very powerful it was very powerful and 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 from that time on Mm -hmm. i knew that i was headed for Mm -hmm. the ministry and having such a profound encounter first experience having been a christian for 70 years or so have you ever had moments in your life where you've felt like you've lost your faith or doubted or really had what I would call like a dry spell from God? Oh, yeah, absolutely, of course. And um, we we wander, we stray. There's a, there was, there's a wonderful hymn 
that says, Here, here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. Mm-hmm. And there is something in us that wants to go our own way, and we do stray mm-hmm. from the Lord from time to time. Mm-hmm. And the Lord has had to bring me back. And I have questioned, I have doubted. As a matter of fact, uh, at one point, felt like I had lost my faith. Mm-hmm. Didn't I know- definitely ex- experienced the same thing. Have you? Yeah. I, I didn't know whether I believed in God. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how much of the Bible was true and all of this. And people had warned me that if I doubted, that might happen. But, but you know, God is faithful and able to work through those things and use them for good. And God has brought me back to a stronger faith mm. um, and helped me to take my my strong faith that I had before and the new doubts and to bring them together to a more mature faith, I think. Mm. And it, I'm still learning. I'm yeah. still growing. I have, I have a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. It's been really interesting for me on my journey throughout life because I've come to the place in my life, and maybe it will change, where I've been quite turned off by the word religious. So I always say to me, I am a Christian, but there's a lot of things about the organization of Christianity that I don't feel comfortable with. So that's why I resort to saying I have a faith, just because I don't like or don't want to be associated with some of the negative connotations of the religion. And I want to talk more about how important are those definitions of the word? Because for me, my own personal walk has been I never mind talking about my spiritual experience or my spiritual life or what I personally believe. If somebody came up to me and said, what do you believe or can you tell me? No problem at all sharing it. But I never want to have it be something that I shove down people's throats or, you know, make it where people are actually like adverse to it by the end end of the time I've stopped talking. Um, So how important do you think the word, like, you know, being religious or naming yourself a Christian is? And and do you feel like it needs to be a big public display or that it's okay that people have a more private experience with what they believe in their faith? That's a great question, uh, Jess. And I I think um, part of the answer is circumstantial. I think God leads some people to be very, very public, like, for instance, Billy Graham. Right. And many many of the ministers in our community today, as you said, have a a role in the community. But most people um, uh, are fairly private about their faith. And I think there is a, there's an even flow. I just ask the Spirit to help me to know when to speak and when not to speak. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm sure that I have been overbearing at times. And I'm sure that I have uh, been too quiet at times. And yeah. so we, we try to learn. But I, I, do, I do understand. And I think as I look at you and experience you, you have, you have learned at a lot younger age than I did how to, to get that balance and to be natural. Because... The best witness you can have is by being natural mm-hmm. in your faith and rather yeah. than canned or stilted, yes. you know. And it's so interesting that you make that point because that to me exactly sums up somebody who is religious versus spiritual and we'll go into what we, you know, define those words as and for some people it might mean different things, but to me religious is is based on the rituals. It can be quite dry. 
It could be an example of somebody who is in church every Sunday but goes home and leads a different life. Like to me, religion is is can can be not always is, but used as a mask, you know. And these are extreme examples, but as I said, you know, a guy who goes to church every Sunday and seems to be leading a very quote unquote Christian life, and then he goes home and he beats his wife and he pays no attention to the homeless person that he walks past on the street and he doesn't hold any of the virtues of you know fruits of the spirit that that to me is where I have a problem with it I want somebody who's transparent that they behave in front of the religious circle being the minister the other people at church and and not putting on a show when it comes time to put on a show and then being opaque you know or or cloudy behind Mm -hmm. closed doors it's kind of similar to how I feel about prayer I love the scripture and I don't know where it's from where it says you know pray behind closed doors and pray in the quiet because then God sees your true heart and it's genuine if you're standing on the street corner are you doing it to be seen and to tend and to have people say well look at look at them and look how majestic and right they are like I I want to be around people religious or not and I guess it transcends religion to just how you behave as, as a human being, but somebody who is the same in public and where eyes are upon them to, to close doors. And I guess that comes down to integrity. So I don't have a problem with someone identifying as religious as long as they are full of integrity as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think a lot of people have associated religion with those types of people or just being sort of a, a fraudulent mask to cover up certain, you know, transgressions. So a lot of people today I've noticed in my generation, especially millennials, especially living in LA and and having so much experience out there. And I know you lived in Cali as well, but the word spiritual versus the word religious people in my generation and and of this time in the world seem to feel more comfortable with that as a title to, to identify as because spiritual seems to allude to being more open and less judgmental the word religion i i think people feel like it's archaic now so how how would you describe the just the definitions of the word between spiritual and religious well i think you make a, a an excellent point and i think we we need uh, we need consistency mm-hmm. uh, in our lives as well as integrity and um, being spiritual and religious I think there are more young people who identify more today with being spiritual. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you go back and read our Jewish scriptures and our Christian scriptures, the prophets and Jesus criticized those who were religious, but they they were religious on the outside, but not on the inside. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, not on the heart. And, because that's what matters is the heart. Yeah, and but for me, one who is called to be a religious leader, uh, for me, it's not an either or thing. It's a both and thing. Mm-hmm. And I want to be sure that that I I not only have the practices, but but I have the heart and the spirit in it at the same time. And mm-hmm. and so I I use your to use your word. I pray about it uh, often because I'm a weak weak human being mm. and uh so i i depend on god to help me to be sincere yeah. and consistent you mm-hmm. know so. because if you put the the dollar in in the uh bowl at church when they're doing the collection but then you walk past a homeless person on the street who's begging and ignore them does that dollar that you've just put in the bowl at church count yeah that's a great question 
And uh, I think um, a lot of times we use religion. We also abuse and misuse religion. Mm -hmm. And we have used religion to uh, subjugate women. Mm. Uh, and we've pointed to scripture verses and say, see, it says women are to be quiet in the church. Well, that was a that was a statement made by one person to a group of people and conditioned by the culture of that day. Mm. But when the church began to talk about ordaining women and letting women vote, oh, there was a big uprising against that, that that was against the Bible, and so there was mm. resistance. There's resistance to mm -hmm. uh, change, but we've we've misused the Bible. We use the Bible to support slavery. What specific <laughs> scriptures or parts of the Bible did that? Well, uh, Paul told uh, Onesimus, who was a slave, to return to Philemon, his owner, uh, and uh, to be to be a good slave. That was a mm -hmm. part of the culture mm. of, of the time. And Jesus even told parables about slaves and uh, uh, there were the good slaves and there were the bad slaves and there were the faithful ones and the unfaithful ones mm. and so it's a part of the culture that we adopted as seeing that that is a part of our faith and so what we have to get to the place of uh, examining our culture mm. uh, and, and examining our faith to see if it's right. We, we need to constantly be in prayer and reading the scriptures. To, and we need the multitude of counselors. We need, uh, that's a quote from Proverbs, we need each other to help each other to stay mm -hmm. on track. Mm -hmm. I need for you to question my life. Yeah, hold you accountable. Hold me accountable, mm -hmm. exactly. And that's, that's one good point for the church. Mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can be an individual Christian, but, but there's, there's a lot of wisdom in being together as a group, as a community. We were made for community. I agree, for sure. Yeah. I think it's really interesting how you, how you talk about those things and, and saying that we use scriptures or we use certain things to justify our cultural systems and as a person of faith, I can absolutely have empathy for people who don't believe or don't have a religion when they look from the outside at certain scriptures, like you're highlighting ones that talk about and highlight and, and encourage homophobia, sexism, racism, all of these things that as a society we generally agree are not right. And I can see if I sort of come up out of my body and, and look at the experience from above, why people who maybe considers, uh, consider themselves atheists or just non-religious, why they, they look at it with such disdain and, and think it's it's crazy, you know, in terms of, of the practices. Because when you boil it down to such specific scriptures like that or start talking about how the Bible or, you know, Judaism or Christianity or Islam or whatever the religion is uh, sanctifies some things, then it's, I can see how it is unappealing to people. Yes. Can you have that same empathy as well? Exactly. And uh, you mentioned homophobia. And of course, that's a, a, a very hot current issue in the church today. There are more and more Christians uh, becoming uh, more open and more inclusive in their thinking. But there are others who still feel very strongly opposed to it. The interesting thing is I've read a number of books on the subject. There are several things that I think we should consider. One is Jesus never mentioned it, never mentioned homosexuality at all. There are only about six 
seven of the most passages in, in the Bible, and books have been written about them. And the Bible has to be interpreted. And, and it, it's very, very clear, it says in Leviticus, a man shall not lie with a man as a woman. And, uh, but uh, also within that same context, it says you're not to wear two different kinds of cloth and, mm-hmm. uh, at the same time, and you're not to eat shellfish. And if your child disobeys you, take the child outside the camp and stone him to death. So, uh, you know, it's, it, we don't do those things. So we, why, as a generalization of society, why have we said, okay, well, that's crazy. We're not going to stone our kids and there's nothing wrong with eating shellfish and we can wear jeans. But why have people held on so tightly to this fear of people who are not straight, straight, white, cis people? Like why, why do we satanize people who are so different when, when Jesus talks about whether you believe or not, you can't deny that Jesus talked about peace and acceptance and love. Like why, why is it so difficult for people to get that? Well, I'm not sure the whole answer to that, but I've got a couple of things that, that I can comment on. One is that a lot of people do not know the Bible. They go to church and they, they hear their leaders mm-hmm. say certain things and they, they are almost like brainwashed into, I have got to hold on to this. And they're mm. also taught, if you let go of that, then you've lost the faith. Mm. You've, you've, like a fear tactic. You, yeah, you, you have forsaken the faith. And um, I lived with that for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. But, but I had an experience in seminary, and this is what I call my second conversion. Okay. I had an experience in seminary where the, the professor assigned us a, a, a little passage to read. And he said, uh, now here's the question, who's in and who's out? Well, I went, uh, the passage was about Jesus calling Levi, mm-hmm. also called Matthew, who was a tax collector to be his disciple. Mm-hmm. Well, tax collectors were uh, considered the scum of the earth mm-hmm. uh, back then. A lot of them are considered that today. But, <laughs> um, but they were considered that back then. You didn't. A good Jew would not associate with them. Well, Jesus went home and had dinner with Levi. And some of the religious leaders of that day asked his disciples, why is he eating with sinners? And I looked at Jesus, I looked at that passage and a light went off in my head. And I thought, oh my gosh, Jesus did not have problems with the tax collectors or the prostitutes or the sinners. He reached out to them. He opened his arms to them and he said, the Son of Man came not to save the righteous, but sinners. The only people Jesus had problems with were people who thought they were better than others. Amen. And, and I thought, that's me. That's me. And so I began to change and let you go. You felt like you only I, dealt I was, with people who were, were well, righteous or on a good quote-unquote path? I was, I was very exclusive. I was very judgmental. I was very self-righteous. So and, I cannot imagine you being like that because what I've experienced you as is just this radically loving, open, for the cause, rights for everybody person. So it's really hard for me to imagine you not being that way. Well, that's because of the grace of God. Mm. And God began to do a work in my life and, and it's still going on and I still can be judgmental. We all can. Well, like you said earlier, that's being human. Yes. I, I had a professor one time who said, 
Uh, anything good in your life, give God credit for. Anything that bad is going on, blame yourself. <laughs> and I that's thought, true. That's pretty good. Okay. Yeah. So how do you feel the life that you led after that second conviction was different? You know, I know you said you, you really changed your ways, but how, how was your outlook to people and your personal internal monologue? How did that change? It's been, it's been the most wonderful thing in the world and the most challenging mm. thing in the world because when I made, began to make changes in my life, I had my friends who we were a part of the same mindset. They began to see me as maybe a little bit heretical or, or leaving the faith or losing my faith. I was going to ask if you, did you lose or, any friends in or that compromising. process? I did lose friends in that. And um, it also is challenging when you have to climb into the pulpit and preach a sermon on Sunday because, you know, there are people out there who have a very, very conservative mindset. And you also have people who have a very, very open mindset and so you cannot please everybody mm. and the comforting thing there are two things that comfort me in that and that is uh, the prophets did not please everybody nor did Jesus nor did Paul or the apostles uh, and we're going to say things that offend people but what I do is the other thing that comforts me is the promise that God has made my mouth called me to preach promised to put the words in my mouth and so I asked the Lord to help me to say what I need to say and not say what I don't need to say mm -hmm. yeah and that comes back to the conversation about integrity when you when you have is integrous a word if it's not I've just made it up but when you have integrity in your heart I think just like grace does that covers a lot yes. you know because as you also said we are human and therefore we will make mistakes we will have to check ourselves hold ourselves accountable be judged by each other by ourselves but when you have integrity I think integrity does equal grace you know because if you're just walking around with no integrity and you don't care how you impact people around you God gives us grace for those who believe believe that, but it's it covers a lot, I think, if you have um, integrity in your intentions. Yes. So you might get it wrong, and you might offend somebody, and you might say the wrong thing, but you have integrity that your intention is to do the right thing and, and to speak the truth. Exactly, and, and part, part of that integrity opens you up to the Spirit to say the right thing, and also, if you, if you blow it and say the wrong thing, that same integrity will help you to come back and set the record straight and mm -hmm. say, oh, I spoke, I, I spoke amiss. Right. Here's Actually, what I should let have said. Me, yeah. yeah, yes. So. We talked a minute ago about my perspective or experience of millennials and people in today's society, and you and I off the air talked about the relevance of the church, but how do you think religion fits into our modern day world and what are some of the my my question in my mind was negatives but also positives but what do you think the impact of of organized religion in today's world is because you had a very specific experience when you were born in the 30s and raising a fam getting married in the 50s and raising a family in the 60s those were, were very different experiences than I imagine it is today so what are your thoughts on that on the deficiencies of yeah just just how organized religion how does it fit in our world today and what are some of the negatives and positives of it well i i think for one thing the church is going through tremendous change mm -hmm. 
uh, in its uh, leadership. Uh, in my day, when I first started out, you, you, you were called to go to a church and you stayed there for five to 10 years or whatever, and you worked full-time. Some churches now can't afford a full-time pastor, so they have a part-time pastor or a half-time mm-hmm. pastor or student pastors. And the church is going through uh, different times because our world is uh, evolving and changing mm-hmm. and, in so many different ways. With nothing to do with religion, but just as a man in his 80s, having lived so much of the world. And I think it's really interesting for people who lived uh, throughout the 20th century, because each decade was so radically different. I, I mean, we don't know really decade to decade what the other centuries were like, but the 40s were not like the 50s and, 50, you know, so on and so on. The decades are so different. So you've seen this incredible period of history uh, with so much change what is the world just so different to when you were growing up now like just religion aside just within everything have you seen so much change because I feel like in the last 20 years it's just so much is different now yes yes and no okay Uh, I think that there is something that is consistent uh, in the heart of human beings Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, it's hard to describe but I think that we are Good is good, evil is evil. Human beings are human beings, but we're growing. Mm-hmm. We are growing. And so if, if it doesn't change, we stagnate. Mm-hmm. So there has been tremendous change. Mm-hmm. And there, there are two attitudes towards that. The, the tendency in the church is to not want to change ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to they want everything to be the same because it's comforting. Right. If you if you change, then Familiar you're going to have to yeah. get out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to push mm. push yourself a little bit. Uh, so there's great resistance to that. But there's also something to be said for the the comfort and the support. People work hard six days a week, and those who do go to church and are religious, they want an oasis. They want so. I had a professor one time tell me that the gospel is to comfort the troubled and to trouble the comfortable Mm, and I think that's that's, great that's pretty pretty yeah I think to me my answer would be to that question of of what are some of the negatives and positives with organized religion and I'm expanding that to all religions because I'm you know aware that not everybody is the religion that we follow some of the negatives are I think Things like cults still exist and Mm -hmm. people are idolizing their pastors or their religious leaders. There's a thing which I was shown a couple of months ago on the social media platform Instagram. There's an account called Preachers in Sneakers and it's really mocking, honestly, these modern day preachers. A lot of them are leaders of mega churches and they're up on stage preaching the gospel or, or speaking a sermon and they're wearing $8,000 Gucci shoes or their their whole outfit is worth $20,000. And the account and the school of thought behind it is making fun of just like how really ridiculous it is. Like how can you be up there talking about needing to take care of the widows and the orphans <coughs> and, and you know, needing to, to reach out to communities and, and be... Mm. Um, a real servant if that's what you're up there preaching and then you're wearing $20,000 worth of shoes and, and watches and so I think those are some of the negatives I'm so glad you mentioned that 
Uh, it, there's a term for that today. It's called the prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of uh, preachers in mega churches that have preached this pr- prosperity gospel. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that if you if you have faith enough, God can can make you rich and bless you. And by mm-hmm. the way, send in a big contribution to our ministry. Mm-hmm. And uh, just, that doesn't sit well with me. I don't like that. Recently in the news, yesterday or the day before, one of the big pastors a big of a large church television ministry, Benny Hinn, came out questioning this prosperity gospel. And it was so encouraging for many of us mm. to hear him do that. And what I'm hoping is that, that other ministers of this prosperity gospel will will take notice mm-hmm. and um, will help to see. Jesus spoke more about money than almost about anything. He warned mm. about the dangers of money. That To me, that ties in with what I was saying a minute ago about this false mask, you know, and, and what you like behind closed doors. And to me, this is, again, where I, I really empathize with people who look at our religion in particular, because that's what we're talking about mostly, because that's what our experience is, of... I really empathize with people that go, you guys are crazy when you hear things like that, because how, how can you read a Bible that talks about, you know, give everything away to the Lord and, and designate your life to, to him, but then want to be as rich as possible and to have all this designer stuff. I don't think there's anything wrong with allowing yourself to have a comfortable life. You know, you work hard, but then, but then that school of thought of you've, you've got to take care of people and don't use your privilege for yourself and, and, help those who are less fortunate than you that constantly drags me back into well and I'm not a millionaire and I'm not super rich but I am a a white woman with a lot of privilege and I constantly am thinking how do I use this for good and how do I use it for people who are marginalized and if I did have a million dollars would it sit right with me to have a Lamborghini and a house in Bel Air or or do I feel called to do something different Uh, you know honey as long as you as long as you have that question, I, I don't worry about you. If you got a million dollars or won the lottery or whatever happened, mm-hmm. had a great inheritance from your daddy hill. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would you would certainly know how to honor God with that, and you would help those who are in need. And yes, we do have a wonderful, luxurious life, and mm-hmm. and I constantly am aware, as you are, that that we need to be aware of those who are less fortunate. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that perplexes me, and maybe you have a response to this, the thing that perplexes me is there are those in the church today who are opposed to uh, helping the needy because they say they should be out working and, and earning money. And true, they should be working and earning money, but it's a more complicated question than that. Mm-hmm. And there are... There are passages over and over and over again about helping those Mm -hmm. who are in need well people who my response to that would be that people who say that I agree everybody should contribute to society in the way they're able to but I would guess and bet a lot of money that the people who are saying those things of well I'm not helping immigrants because they came here and if it's difficult then that's the journey they walk or I'm not helping whatever I would guess that most of the people who are saying that are privileged people, probably white people, or at least privileged within wealth, and are not considering that those who are needy don't have the same opportunities as people who have privilege in their life. And And I've walked an incredibly easy road. And a huge part of that is be, is because, as I said, I'm a white 
Western woman. I've had a way easier life than some of my friends who do not have those identities because I have been afforded opportunities and experiences. I've been given free passes. I've been given uh, a pedestal to stand up on that has gotten me to where I am. And I've really become very, very aware of that in my recent years that that is so important um so that that would be my response to that and something that made me so furious i could hardly see straight i don't know if it was last year or whenever the massive hurricane came through texas and joel austin who is for anyone who doesn't know is is a big preacher i believe he preaches the prosperity gospel closed the doors to the church during the hurricane and actively made a choice to not let anybody in and there was this cry for I don't is his church in Dallas or Houston it's one of the big cities not sure and and there was this big cry for you have this mega million dollar church humongous square footage space you could open up and have active hands-on ministry to letting people who are homeless come in and have shelter from the storm and he made a decision not to I don't I'll hold my hand up and say I don't know why he made that decision But to me, that was just like so against everything that he should have done. And it just made me absolutely furious. Mm -hmm. I just I I really felt heartbroken at stuff like that, because, uh, you know, the question of how do we feel about people who idolize their religious leaders when they let you down? It seems so much more of a fool. Do you know what I mean? Than just like a regular person because we put them on these pedestals. I know. And I I agree with you. And if you look at. If you read the life of Jesus in the Gospels, you will see that he had that same attitude of reaching out uh, to the the most needy among us. And when you read in the about the early church in Acts chapter two and Acts chapter four, uh, it says that that everybody had everything in common. They just kind of brought what they had and pooled it so that. The person who had a lot didn't have too much, and the person who didn't have much, much at all had enough, mm-hmm. and and so they. Some shared. people would say that was communism, but well, you know. <laughs> well, of course, of course, that's exactly what they would say. And um, what's what's the other term for it that's so popular today? Cap- capitalism. Uh, no, the, socialism. Socialism. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and um, but um, there there. There was an aspect of that, and it's just good to be reminded that... It works uh, in theory, doesn't it? Huh? It works in theory, you know, yeah, socialism it, and capitalism. It, I mean, uh, communism. It, it works in practice when uh, when you're in a church. Right. And you're, there used to be back in the 60s some ideas of people who who lived communally. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they would have one lawnmower and one, maybe a couple of washing machines and... Mm-hmm. And they would they would all share things together. Yeah. And, and uh, going back to the idea that that works in theory, the idea of living in a, a commune or a community type situation where you're thinking like real hippie here, but like everybody grows their own food and everyone contributes and lives together. And that's really lovely. And I think that that would work. And, and ultimately, I do believe it is our innate nature to live as as tribes so to speak and and people say like people don't sit around the campfire anymore like I believe we are missing that in our life but what stops it from working what stops it from going to be great in theory and not in practice is that the negative things that we can take on as humans take over things like greed and wanting to be quote-unquote successful in our own right and people 
break away from the pack in order to serve themselves. And I, I agree with you that the church, that's what the church is about and should be, is coming together and helping each other, which is why that specific example of closing the church in, in Texas made me so angry because I was like, this is so against what it should be, religious or not. I think everybody who's a good-hearted person can agree that the point of life or at least points of life are to love each other and help one another and just to talk about different religions you mentioned earlier that most religions share sort of the same ground rules the things that Jesus talked about of uh, peace and love and and what we would call maybe the fruits of the spirit how do you think religion it can be I'm trying to think of the word but like how can we come together all the different religions around the world what are the similarities that you see and how can we coexist more peacefully that's uh, a very interesting question, and I'm not sure that I have uh, the answer, but uh, Aldous Huxley talked about the perennial philosophy, mm. uh, which is the common thread that goes through all the religious traditions. And as you mentioned, love is uh, the key to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus talked about the golden rule, but the golden rule was also talked about in other religions mm-hmm. as well. So there's a commonality that if we could... If we could find the good in all of us and say, how can we join our hearts and our hands and do what we can to make this a better world, that Mm -hmm. would be wonderful. Another way of looking at it is looking at the differences. Say, you're you're one religion and I'm another one. I could say, well, tell me what's different about you that could enrich my life Mm -hmm. and what's different in me that might enrich your life. Mm -hmm. There's a wonderful story. You remember A.T. Brown? No. He and his wife, Doris, developed uh, Cedar Kirk, our church camp. And every year they have, uh, at Christmas time, they would have a holiday season, I forget what they call it now, where they have foreign students come from all over the world and stay at Cedar Kirk uh, during the holiday season. And uh, one night they had all gone out, and one of them came back, And A.T. asked this young man, I believe he was Islam of faith, and he said, tell me about what you believe about your faith. And he sat there and listened to this young man talk about his faith for about a half an hour. Mm -hmm. And when he had finished, the young man looked at A.T. and he said, now tell me about your Jesus, Mm. which was such a powerful powerful experience yeah Uh, and to me that's what i i long for and dream about is that we might be able to do paul encouraged us to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace that's a big big challenge today in our church and in Mm. our our culture our world yeah because so many people look at difference equaling dangerous And a lot of people are prejudiced. They look at somebody who wears a burqa or a hijab who is a Muslim and they automatically make an assumption. And we look at people who are Hindu and we and we make judge or not we but people make judgments about that. And and people do it to Christians. I do it to certain types of Christians. I make judgments and. And I think this this idea of different equaling dangerous is so dangerous in itself because I've been really fortunate to have a lot of friends who come from different ethnic backgrounds and have different religions. And at the end of the day, when you boil it all down, no matter the difference of what we believe, 
we like to do the same things. We like to eat the same things. We'll go out to the movies. It doesn't make a difference in our relationship or friendship or our quality time together unless we were to make it a, a big thing that got between us. And I mean, how many wars have been started and continue because of religious warfare and difference? Like how many times have we sacrificed integrity and, and, keep, and, and broken that golden rule and actually gone as far as to terrorize people because of their religion and something that just popped up in my mind we're sitting in a room that has a globe in it and I'm thinking how how much of where you are born geographically depends on what religion you are like of course do you think if you were born in Baghdad Iraq you would still be a Christian do you think you would have had the same experiences I have no idea because circumstances change yeah and you could never know Christians I know. become Muslim and Muslims become Christians and so on and mm-hmm. so forth um, but I, I have stayed the same. But I think where you are born mm-hmm. originally has a huge impact. The, yeah. the family you grow up with, the friends that mm-hmm. you have, big impact uh, on you. Mm-hmm. And um, the tendency is when we see somebody different, like you said, mm-hmm. color of skin, speak a different language or something, we become a little bit threatened mm-hmm. and, and back off and put a but there are many stories out there of mm-hmm. people who have been put off by each other, but then when they got to know each other, just like you said, they had more in common than they realized and became yeah. friends. I think that that is that's the the rule, and and not having that experience is the exception. But we flip it because we're so afraid. Because you talked about earlier that people pretty much as humans unless you're quite evolved like to stay within their comfort zone and not push the boundaries and make it so it's comfortable and familiar and how much do we miss out on when we when we live in that space so much i know uh, i'm i wanted to say one one more thing before before it's all over and uh, uh you can't you can't say it all of course i wish i wish we could um but uh, we've we've talked around uh, politics and mm. we've stayed away from it a little bit, but not on purpose. I was um, actually going to ask you how you think those two coincide. Well, uh, th- I think there's a big distinction between and, and people aren't clear on this, but we believe in our country and in our faith in the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. That is not the same as the separation between faith and politics. Those Mm -hmm. are two different things. Mm -hmm. Separation of church and state uh, has the idea that that the state has no right to tell the church what they are going to believe. They can't set up, we can't set up a one religion in this country and say that everybody's got to adhere to it. Mm -hmm. They can do that in other dictatorships, but Mm -hmm. not not here. Uh, So there is a separation of church and state but our faith in politics uh, are bound up together. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what you believe about truth and righteousness and peace and justice is going to affect how you vote mm-hmm. uh, in the voting booth, who you vote for, mm-hmm. who you campaign for. Right. Um, and so I, I just hope that we will continue to uh, realize that difference. Yeah. And I wish that um, there was... There was more talk about that from the pulpit, but it's very, very challenging and very difficult. Because mm-hmm. there's such a spectrum to, of what, what people believe. 
you know, yeah. and, and those virtues that you just talked about um, are really important and you do want to see them in the people who are making decisions in our world, that they are what we would describe as, you know, the fruits of the spirit, you know, patient, calm, kind, you know, considering the needs of others, you know, th- th- those are the leaders I would like to see. I totally agree with you on that for sure. But I can also imagine how as somebody who is a minister, that is quite difficult to talk about to a room full of people who probably have a, a vast spectrum of what they believe, p- politics yeah. and religion. Well, and of course, people believe that, that you should keep uh, politics out of the sermon. And there have been preachers who've gotten up and told their congregations who to vote for. I think that's absolutely wrong. Mm, I agree. Um, but I think that you can talk about peace and justice mm-hmm. and righteousness and truth, mm-hmm. uh, and you can call call things out when they are wrong, like you've called this thing out of of closing the doors, mm-hmm. uh, and maybe we should open the doors and open our hearts mm-hmm. uh, to those who are in need. And when you have those virtues in your heart, and and believe in them and feel protective of them, it's important to to recognize that and and it's very easy to see when you have a leader or a president who doesn't believe those things it's it's very easy to to make a distinction of okay well that's not somebody I want to vote for because they don't believe in the virtues that I believe in yeah right well thank you so much for being here this has been so wonderful to share this time with you and thank you I'm honored that you invited me to be here and I, I hope that what we've talked about today will be helpful. I agree. And I could talk to you for hours and hours. This was just a small part of a conversation that we could have, but I'm Mm. really grateful that you have been here. This has been one of my favorite episodes. So thank you so much. Thank you. And uh, God bless you as you continue this wonderful ministry. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Let's Be Honest. Be sure to follow us across social media using the tag Let's Be Honest, the podcast. Thank you very much to Dr. Hill for joining us on this episode and tune in in two weeks time for a brand new guest. Bye.